the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black, everybody. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. I would be remiss if I don't always try to educate you a little bit here and there. So you tell me what you want me to talk about on occasion, and I will gladly do that. One of the things that I'll throw out to start with is stocks are trickier than you think. And I know a woman who is a widow, and she's picking her own stocks. She's raising her kids. Like I'm like, whoa. And then she thinks she's doing a smart thing by dropping me an email going, what do you think about this stock? And out of context, it doesn't make any sense. So I think... But what I want to start with, lesson number one today, and we don't have to have a lesson plan and there's not going to be a test or a quiz, is stocks are trickier than you think. Um, I've made mistakes that I regret, and I was like, I try to learn from them. When I first got into the industry, I would read the New York Times business section and the Wall Street Journal cover to cover almost and take notes, and I'd save them. And then on the weekend, I'd take a look at what went right, what went wrong, I do the same things with my investments. I'm the toughest critic on other people, but I'm also the toughest, toughest critic on myself. So I don't think most people should have individual stocks, um, at least until you have a million dollars. Or maybe if you're younger, have $100,000 in index funds, and then you could say, okay, I'm going to add one stock and do it for a year and see how you like it. I've never met an average person who's a good day trader. Never has happened. I've never met someone who works at Facebook, Google, um, you name the company, the DMV. I've never met anyone who's worked there and been better than the markets. And it's pretty interesting because most people remember their, their wins. Most people don't remember their losses. I know stocks are tempting. And I think if you're going to do a stock, try to do a blue chip stock to start. 
And that's pretty easy what I mean by that. And this is not investment advice, but start with something like a Nike, a Visa. Maybe if you want to go more modern, a Facebook. But then start writing down the, the what you like about them and what you don't like about them. For instance, I'll start with like Nike right now. Nice revenue, nice earnings, pretty consistent profit margins. Uh, those are things to like. Uh, been around for 40 years since my childhood, right? Uh, things that you don't like, there's competition out there. They make big bets on athletes where they spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars getting athletes to wear their gear. Now, on one level, it's kind of a no-brainer when you sign a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, but whoops, they miss Steph Curry. And that's not to say Steph Curry's going to be the end-all, be-all and change the way Skechers or Converse or anyone else works. Adidas. Um, but you can see there are some human errors. CEO, he could retire. Phil Knight, retired. He's on the board, but the reason you like the company is Phil Knight, visionary leader. The reason you don't like the company is if he left. So it's really, really important that you write down the reasons why you like something and the reasons that you don't. And then it becomes very, very objective instead of subjective. You can no longer go, well, it's down 10 points. and Well, I don't know. That's another thing you should write is if it does go down 10%, do you buy more or sell? If it goes down 20%, do you buy more or sell? And the more you can put it in writing, the better. I used to say something kind of funny when you're put in the situation of wanting to become a day trader. Please, please consider something along the lines of um, uh, having a spouse or a best friend. And you say, okay, I've got $100,000. Have them write down or you write down the trade. I want to buy Intel today at X amount of dollars. And when you're ready to sell it, go back to that person and say, I'm ready to sell. And then compare it to how you did versus the market. Now, the problem is that that's not real money. And real money makes you a lot crazier than paper money. I don't know if I'm any sense at all. Um, so anyway, I do want you to like love stocks as much as I do. And like, for instance, Beyond Meat, that's a company that came out at $25 and it went up to $200 plus in its first year of trading. Now, the first year of trading, someone messed up. Someone underpriced that puppy or maybe the public messed up and overpriced it. And it can be very, very tempting to say, I'm going to short that stock because the public got it wrong. But it doesn't always pay off for you. I don't short stocks at all. Uh, I have, to, I can't commit 100% to this, but I don't think I've ever shorted a stock in my life. I'm 99.9% sure I've never shorted a stock. I just, I, I remember the 1970s and people bought pet rocks. Americans are stupid. We'll buy anything. And I'm not saying Beyond Meat is pet rocks. I'm not. But, you know, I'd be cautious. For the record, Beyond Meat is a company that is heavily shorted because people are betting against it. People are saying, well, the bankers were probably right. And the people who pushed it up to $150, up to $200 before it fell back to $150, are saying, well, people don't get it. This isn't about that, this or that. This is about something else. It's not about valuation. Throw valuation out the window. <laughs> it's just kind of what sometimes you have to say. Recent caller to my radio show asked whether saving 20% of one's income is sufficient. 
and you know, I try to save automatically 15% with my 401k. I do the catch up on it because I'm older. I do credit card rewards that I take whatever rewards I get that year in cash and put it into a savings account, an investment savings account, not like a bank account. I do everything I can to skim, skiff, steal, whatever it is, as much money in retirement as possible. My goal is I can live frugally for the rest of my life, but I want options for my children. And you're like, you should let your children make their own way. You're probably right. I probably should let my children make their own way, and I get it. But something in me says, have plan B just in case. So if you can save 20%, that's great. But is it enough? I don't know. I don't know your situation. Do you want to leave money? Did you start early? Did you start late? Are you super conservative and you're only investing in certificates of deposit? Nobody has ever complained to me that they've accumulated too much money. People have lamented having too little. And I do see a retirement crisis coming down the road where we're going to have presidential elections won by promises of we're going to keep paying you Social Security, even if it kills our country. I do see more coming for the elderly because they're a big part of the voting block. So put a portion of your paycheck away into retirement at work for sure. Consider stashing some into a, a IRA, individual retirement account, or a self-directed uh, or a retirement IRA, a Roth IRA. All retirement, all IRAs are retirement. Duh. So you need to find yourself saying, you know, where else can I save? And one area where I save is what I don't buy. So a friend of mine's like, why don't you get that Lamborghini? Why don't you get that? You'd look good in a Range Rover. I'm like, I've got a car that's going to last me 250,000 miles. Thank you. And if it gets me from point A to point B, I'm still the happy, lovely, lovely person that you've always known. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. There's a great new website that I'm tied to called newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. That's where I put a lot of effort into free downloadables for you to get online. Check it out, newfocusfinancial.com. financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. This is probably my favorite U2 song. You're the best thing about me. It came off an album that wasn't that big of a hit. Let's be fair. They probably put out too many albums, right? But... It's about your children. You're the best thing about me. Is there not a nicer thing you could say to your kid one day? So one of the things I'm going to tell my kid, I'm going to teach my kids about debt and credit because there's a lot of bogus information out there on information. There's, you know, the truth shall set you free, so to speak. There's a lot of myth. I don't know if you remember, but the very first Muppet movie, (laughs) Kermit and Fozzie Bear were going across the country to f- go to L.A. to find their dream. And every time they'd say the word meth, Miss Piggy or some female would show up on the screen like, yes, because it's a tough word to say. It sounds like miss. Meth. Cookie. Oh, Cookie Monster upsets me. Cookie, cookie Monster. Cookie. He's dead. 
died of diabetes, had both legs amputated. So anyway, I'm not going to tell my kids that, but some bogus beliefs about credit and debt. Is there an easy way to fix bad credit? There is not. You will see commercials. You will hear ads about claims that we can fix or somehow improve your credit in just a few easy steps for a fee, of course. There, the truth is that no person, no company can remove accurate entries from your credit report. There's a piece of legislation out there that's just horrific to say, the Fair Credit Reporting Act. It says that information about a delinquent account, late payments, non-payments can remain on your file with the credit reporting agencies for seven years, starting 180 days after that account becomes delete. delinquent. So it's not going to be easy. Now, Experian came out with something called a credit boost. Eh, I'd be careful. Some of the firms out there who, debt settlement firms, also you need to be very cautious with. I did debt settlement firm in my early 20s. I got into some credit card issues. I can't even tell you what I bought. So uh, when I started my company, I, I kind of stopped paying the credit cards or something happened. And debt collectors started calling me. The story ends with me paying off my debt. But I went through a process where people were telling me, well, you could offer to settle $2,000 of credit. Say, if I write you a check right now for $1,200, is it all good? I'm like, sure. And I heard horror stories of, of people who would who thought that that company was going to go with that, and they don't. There's some things that you could try to get around it, like only cash this check if this settles account 10259316 in full and in entirety. But I'd be cautious on that. Bankruptcy does not discharge all debts. That's another myth. And I, I, I would use a bankruptcy if I had to. I don't, fortunately. But bankruptcy isn't like a scarlet letter A. It's not going to haunt you forever. But a number of debts don't go away through bankruptcy, including back taxes, less than three years old, student loans, child support, debts incurred through fraud. Debt collectors also can't call others about your debts. Uh, is that true or false? The Fair Debt Collection Practices Act does allow debt collectors to make such calls, but there are a few restrictions. They can only call others only to find out where you live, your telephone number, and where you work. Uh, they can't reveal the reason for the call to anyone other than you um, or your attorney in theory. So a couple years ago, I have a brother-in-law. No, no, no. I have a sister-in-law who got a divorce from a guy. And just for the sake of case, Chase, for the sake of it, we'll call him Chase. And Chase had a baby with her and never paid child support. And Chase moves on to get another woman pregnant and looks like he flaked on her too. I got a call from a law firm who said, how do you know Chase? I'm like, I don't. I, I, I met him once and it was literally dropping off a kid or something like that for five minutes. Do you know where he lives? I'm like, what's this about? And it was probably about a debt collector. It was probably he wasn't paying his child support. And I'm assuming that, right? I don't even know. But they were calling me to figure out if I knew where he lived. Did you see how it works? A divorce decree matters to creditors. That's wrong. A decree that is between you and your ex-spouse, the creditors are not involved. The decree may state how your assets and debts will be divided. The creditors were not involved in the settlement, and they had no input in it. Thus, it's not their business. Whoever signed that contract is still obligated to pay the debt. That's another issue I see a lot of in divorces. A lot of times women go for the house, and here's where I'm going to dip deep into the Me Too movement and put my foot in my mouth. 
Don't come to the house, ladies. A place to live is probably the easier thing to figure out versus a retirement account. If, let's say, you had a million-dollar house and a million-dollar retirement account, split it 50-50. Be good people and do it that way. Sell the house if you have to, 50-50. But if your choice is to have a house and no retirement or to have a retirement and no house, I'd, I'd take the retirement. That's me. And, again, a house is replaceable, and a house doesn't appreciate as fast as the stock market does. And a house has cost tied towards it and maintenance that the stock market doesn't. So, ladies, in case of divorce, consider a, a, a real 50-50 split. So, that's out there. There's a myth out there as well that I want to just bust open. Boom! Your credit card company can't change your interest rate. Yeah, they can. All they got to do is give you 45 days notice. You know what's even more upsetting? A couple years ago, I had a friend who had like a million miles on Southwest. And for like every 2,000 miles, you got a free flight. And then they changed the terms. And they said, it's every 4,000, you get a free flight. They're allowed to do that. You know, the stupid person was the person who never used their, their miles. Because down the road, you better know, you could accumulate bazillions of miles and bazillions of dollars of AOU. You need to cash that stuff in. Are you with me or against me? Because you got to choose a side. This is a civil war. And for the record, I love credit cards. When I was 18, I hated credit cards. I was like, they're charging so much interest. They're taking advantage of me. That's not quite true. I was the one who didn't know how to use the credit card. I love the rewards. And whether they're flight rewards or hotel rewards or cashback rewards, I'm good with them. Um, and there's a lot of them out there. A cashback card like the Fidelity Rewards Visa Signature Card or the Chase Freedom Unlimited is a great for getting a strong return on your everyday spending. And most of these cards have no annual fee. I don't mind if you're freaked out by annual fees. You don't have to pay one. I pay a $450 fee for my travel card. I book all my hotels and all my flights on it, and it gives me maximum rewards. And it also had like a $150,000 point sign up. I'll probably use all those points the next year, and I'll probably close the account and look for another $450 uh, card that has a massive sign-up bonus. So I don't mind if you don't you don't have to go to the premium cards, but you got to use the rewards. You should consider a card that earns transferable points, like the Chase Sapphire Preferred Card or the American Express Gold Card. If you travel, a co-branded hotel or an airline credit card can make sense as well, and you'll want a card that offers strong travel protections for like trip delays insurance. They're out there. Good website for that is bankrate.com. That's bankrate.com. Good website for all things financial. Newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. It is my desire. Break down the walls to connect, inspire. Hey, open up your high place, liars. Time is ticking for the empire. The truth that feed is feeble. I saw many times before. The greed of all the people. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
sounds a lot like John Cougar Mellencamp. What's interesting to note about John Cougar Mellencamp is at one point in time, he was known as Johnny Cougar, Johnny Cougar and the Cats. Then it was John Cougar and this John Cougar Mellencamp. Then it was John Mellencamp. Whoa. Let's, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton, who's always been known as CFP Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? I'm doing well. I'd only remember John Cougar Mellencamp. I got to go with the three names. Oh, there's uh, some really good ones, Johnny Cougar and the Cats. Uh, his albums were pretty rock in the country, eh, but I'm, I digress. Um, CFP Chad Burton, you and I have worked together for many, many, many years. Our relationship's deep. It's nice to know. I consider you a friend and much, much more. Let's talk life insurance basics. Am I going to die? Yes. What are your views on life insurance as a fee-only fiduciary? Because it's sold in, in many forms and formats. Yeah, and you know we go through these roles, especially when you get a stock market correction. You get these just a blast of all of these seminars by these people that um, try to go in and say, "See, you lose all this money in the stock market, so sure. forget about your four hundred one k, and you should invest in this indexed life insurance cash value product because you can get a portion of the upside of the market and no downside risk, and, and you can pull money out tax free." And it sounds like this great sales pitch when people are fearful of the market. And people, unfortunately, go for that all the time. And it's like, you know, just when people sell products based on fear or greed, that, you know, they're doing something wrong. So as a fee-only fiduciary, or if you ask any certified financial planner that really gives people unbiased advice, that 99% of the population should buy term and invest the difference, right? Yep. That's my bumper that's, sticker. That's, yeah, exactly. But I do want people to remember about disability insurance because, Rob, I've known very few people in 25 years that have passed away well before their life expectancy, but I've known several people that have had some disability issues, whether it's short-term um, from like a motorcycle wreck or, you know, a longer-term issue. Um, I knew somebody in their 40s that had a stroke, and it took them almost a year to recover before they could actually work again. So don't forget about the disability side. That's extremely important, especially if you're shopping jobs and, and looking at benefits. But um, when it comes to benefits, it's typically better to get your term life insurance policy on your own. So that way, if you change jobs, you can take it with you versus buying it through your employer. Uh, so if there's somebody that's depending on you for your income, a spouse, the kids, then you typically need 10 times your income plus about 100 grand per kid for college and then maybe add on any debt that you might have, like if you have a half a million dollar mortgage. And you can't really go too wrong if you kind of stick with that formula. And the idea is that as long as you're saving 15% of pay or so between your your amount and your employer's amount at work, by the time that 20- or 30-year level term policy is over, you'll have enough assets where you don't need the life insurance anymore. So that buy term, invest the difference works as long as you are truly investing the difference in your 401k. Quick question, follow up on that. I believe, and you can correct me, I believe disability and term life don't have a lot of margins. It's all math. And thus, the agent who sells them doesn't make a ton of money. Whereas the whole life and the variable life, there's some wiggle room and they make more money. I kind of like the idea of it's, it's a tough product to oversell term life and disability. Am I on? Am I kind of correct? You're dead on. You can't oversell disability insurance because it's based on your current income and how much they're willing to reinsure. Um, and then on the term insurance, you're right. I mean, it's. I think it's probably 30, 40% of the cost now for term life insurance for a 20-year policy than when I got into the business 25 years ago. People are living longer. 
Um, most people don't keep their policies for more than a couple of years. So they price it accordingly. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. And, and then, you know, there's, there's very, there's still a few cases though, Rob, where people need to look at permanent cash value and insurance, but it's kind of some rare cases. One last question about term life. Would you invest with Big Lou? I don't know. Big Lou seems to have a lot of problems. I think it's like four divorces. He's high <laughs> blood pressure. He's like you. I just want to, I just want to, I love the way that they've done that marketing because you just want to picture Big Lou in your head, right? Like, what is this guy like? <laughs> He's just yeah, no kidding. 400 pounds sitting on a headset selling term insurance to people online. So let's move forward. Uh, I, I squeezed in Big Lou and I, I'm not getting any kickback for that. If life insurance with a cash value is only good in rare cases. What are those cases? I'd like to have a, a cheat sheet. Yeah, yeah, sure. So for estate planning cases, um, okay. there is certain situations where you ha- might have somebody with a very high net worth where if they die, there's going to be estate taxes that are due. And there might not be liquidity in that estate. It might be a large farm. It might be a bunch of real estate. The taxes are due upon death, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Um, so if you set up an irrevocable life insurance trust and fund that so that the heirs get the insurance completely tax-free and it's a leveraged effect where they know they wouldn't have to fire sale real estate homes or businesses, then it creates that liquidity. It does its job, but there's you've got to get really specific design policies. There's, I don't think the average agent um, you know, does a good job at this. You can figure out ways to design policies where it builds up very little cash value. It's almost like a term permanent mix, and it's really geared for the death benefit. Some other cases might be business continuity. Um, If you want to make sure that there's insurance there forever for a business partner that you need to buy out if they pass away so that you're not in, in business with their spouse, and you plan on being in business for over 20 years, maybe it's, you know, you've got to do something besides term insurance. You've got to get a permanent policy. Uh, a couple other ones are, let's say you're retiring from Lockheed Martin with a pension and you want to take a higher payout so that you have higher monthly income, but if you pass away, you want your kids or spouse to have a tax-free lump sum instead of a reduced payout. Okay. So sometimes that pension planning can work, but again, it's not a cash value heavy life insurance. There is some cash value, but it's meant to last more than 20 or 30 years. It's got to be specially designed. And then, you know, the the the, the one that's... that can work. Let's say you're really high cash flow, you're high income earner, right? You're in the top 1% of the population in terms of income. You've exhausted all your savings vehicles, your 401k, your Roth, your defined benefit plans. Maybe you already own real estate and plenty of stocks and you're really looking for some sort of a bond alternative, something that'll kind of be in between stocks and bonds. There are certain types of index life insurance that might work for that person. But again, that's maybe, you know, 10, 11 of those in the last 25 years that it really worked correctly for. And again, you got to work with agents that don't have the normal policies. They have access to better deals with the same insurance companies because they do exist out there. All good stuff. Let's move on. And people can find out more about you and me at newfocusfinancial.com. There's a lot of good downloadables. I want to build that library so people continue to go there. Newfocusfinancial.com. There's a nice blog. We're talking life insurance with CFP Chad Burton. Explain that how that 1% of the population can use it as a bond alternative because that's new to me. 
Yeah. So, the, okay. Let's say you're, you know, 45, 50 years old, and your your cash flow is really high. You're like at the top of your earnings. Sounds like me. And yeah, and let's say you're kind of conservative too. Like you're okay. you have plenty of stocks, and the the fluctuations of the stock market kind of scare you a little bit. But then you're also looking at California tax-free bond funds right now yielding around, you know, two percent. You're like, where's that going to get me? If interest rates go up, my bond funds could fall in value. And you're trying to sock money somewhere in a tax-efficient manner. If you design uh, an index life insurance policy the right way, and this, again, stocks are going to beat it. Real estate's going to beat it. It's not the best use. So it's very for a very conservative person. And the cash value inside of those things, you can participate in the upside of the market without any downside risk. But if you go to a normal agent off the street and try to get one, it's going to be riddled with high commissions. The cap rates that determine how much return you get to keep are going to be low. Um, they're not. I, I very rarely see somebody that purchased one from a normal agent off the street, and I say, "Oh yeah, that's a good deal." Usually, we're having to repair those things. So inside the insurance, it's invested in an index account, and that account might say you get 100% of return of the S&P up to 7%. So if the S&P does 20, you only get 7. There's no dividends at all. But if the S&P does negative 10 or negative 13 for the year, you just get zero that year. So it's a way to participate in some of the upside without a downside. And so it's meant to kind of probably outperform bonds in the long run, but there are internal fees and everything else that you got to worry about because the insurance. But because it's life insurance, Rob, eventually you'll be able to pull that cash value out tax-free. Okay. later on when you need it to retirement. So it can go up against a bond fund and win, but it will never go up against the stock market or the real estate market and win. So it's kind of, again, for that conservative person, they don't want more real estate or more stocks, and they're looking for something else besides bonds. And that's it. So that's why I say 1% maybe of the population. Okay. And that's not Minia. And uh, you almost talked me out of it there because I'm like, I'd rather own some bonds and California munis or something, but we're not going into me. Uh, we only have about a minute left. What if people have put a ton of money into cash value life insurance and they don't need it? That happens. What should they do? Yeah. If they really want the uh, cash out of it as income, they need to run enforced illustrations. They you know, call the company, ask for an enforced illustration at conservative rates. But the the idea I like better is if you look at it as your source to pay for long-term care in the future. Because if you're still healthy, you can take that life insurance policy and all that cash value. You can do a tax-free 1035 exchange into one of the newer life insurance policies that have cash value. You can typically get more death benefit and then have that death benefit available to you while you're alive to pay for long-term care, nursing homes, assisted living. So you can leverage that cash, get more life insurance for your heirs, but use it while you're alive if that circumstance comes in and you need long-term care because nothing else covers that unless you insure it on your own or, or you know pay for it out of pocket. Next time we talk, we'll talk about uh, other ways to use life insurance. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. He has to scoot and get to work right now. But you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com and listen to his show Monday through Friday in the morning, 6 o'clock on this very station. Questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money 
on AM 1220 KDOW. So this is one of my heavily played songs on iPods or Apple Music or whatever it is. Sweet. The singer is Rivers Cuomo. The song is uh, Can't Knock the Hustle. And what I, I dig about it is it's, it's about YouTube drivers. Not YouTube drivers. It's about uh, uh, Lyft and Uber drivers. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's based off a 1996 Jay-Z song. Weezer kind of reinvented it in 2018. I would imagine the Jay-Z version was probably more about being a pimp or something. Rivers Cuomo is pretty interesting, too. He's an American musician, singer-songwriter, lead singer of Weezer. Um, he's had some different looks in his look. He was raised in an ashram in Connecticut. And he moved to L.A. at 18, so, like, he had a weird childhood. Um, I knew that he went to, like, a great college late. No, I knew that he went to a great college. I didn't know that he went after his first album was a rockin' success. He's like, I'm going to go to Harvard. (laughs) Like, he could have been a rocker, but he's like, time for me to go to Harvard. I like the challenge is what I'm getting at, and I like that people actually do that. He also suffered, um, he had to have his leg extended at an early age. One of my good friends had his son do that thing, and it's incredibly painful. So to say the least, uh, I've I've always found him kind of interesting. And yes, you could probably guess, um, uh, I'm kind of a weirdo. He's a big soccer fan. I'm a big soccer fan. So he's a vegetarian. I'm not, <laughs> but maybe I'll get there one day. Cool. And yes, I live my life like I want to be a rock star. Hey, one area that I want to be very cautious on is lending money to a family member. This is none of my business, but let's talk about it. Like most people, you do just about anything for your loved ones, right? Your family, your blood. I've got four older brothers and one younger sister, and I don't even talk to three of them. My brother Mike lives in Japan. Bit of a weirdo. Super smart guy. But he doesn't really fit in in the United States, so it kind of made sense that he's ended up in Japan. Uh, my brother Peter went through a pretty couple of divorces, and he lives in Louisiana, and I don't really talk to him much. He's older. My parents had a lot of kids through a lot of years. I would never think about lending them money. I don't know them anymore. Now, if you do lend family members money, my advice is get it in writing. Um, it's tough. I want almost everything in my life documented and put in writing. I don't think that's fair, though, right? Because it, it kind of turns a romantic situation. Hey, brother, can you lend me a dime? To, I can lend you a dime, but you're going to pay me back 12 cents, and we're going to put that in contract. I get that dime back in a month, and I uh, get the other two pennies a month after that. 20% return, not bad, right? If you can't put it in writing, both parties aren't really serious. It's really not a loan. It's like, well, I may screw you over and never pay you back. In the agreement, state the amount of money that's being lent. State this in numbers and letters to avoid claims of miscommunication. Don't just write 5000 Write $5,000 and no cents. Um, write the date the money's being lent. 
right? The date that you expect it to be paid back and how you expect it to be paid back. If it's your kids in college, I don't know. Is it proper to lend money knowing that you want it back to a kid in college? I think we're all different. I can't see myself, you know, charging my kids interest rates and such, but I could see a, a little bit of a life lesson saying, you know, hey, if you want to go to Europe, I'll, I'll pay, but you're going to pay me, you know, $3,000, $100 each month for 30 months. You know, then you've got some skin in the game per se, or you pay for half, I'll pay for the other half. So, but one area that I would never, ever, never, ever lend a family member money is to buy a house. Um, the IRS could have a problem with it. It's a bigger chunk of change, so to speak. A lot of parents just give their kids $200,000 and it has to be turned into a gift because otherwise it needs to be a loan and you're only allowed to gift so much in your lifetime and only so much at certain ages. There's, there's some stickiness to it. But someone like a Tony Mendez at BarryAloneSource.com is going to say, where did you get this $200,000 from? The system wants to know because they want to know that you're not, you know, scamming. They want to know that you're not money laundering. Boy, 9-11 in the, it really created quite a mess in the financial industry. A mess that was kind of needed, but it really created quite a mess. Uh, the amount of paperwork in financial transactions is ridiculous due to the Patriot Act. But it's gotten necessary. I, I'm not against it. I'm not going to fight it. So try to get, you can't do a contract. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I would even consider maybe writing a little thing on penalties. Like if you don't pay me back, <laughs> you're not invited to Thanksgiving. I've seen more families fight about money. Oh, boy. I've seen a current family right now that's uh, they have different opinions on how mom and dad want to be cared for. And what's interesting is the boys on one side, the, the families on the, the three boys. Uh, two are married. Spouses have the have opinions that maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. But they can't talk to mom and dad because mom and dad aren't really... They, they should have talked about how they wanted to be cared for. They didn't. So then it comes down to the kids making decisions for them. And you got to wonder if, like, the will comes into play. CFP Chad worked at NewFocusFinancial.com tells a story all the time about how uh, there was a relative in a hospital bed... And like an aunt came in and said, she told me I could have her diamond ring. Wasn't in a will, it wasn't in trust. She just took it off her, her almost dead fingers. Everyone hates her for doing it. It's an interesting thing. I know you don't want to write down ideas about dying, but Big Lou sells term life insurance in large part because you are going to die. Consider writing down a will or a trust. Maybe a medical directive, the power of attorney. Do it sooner than later if you're 50. It's like that prostate exam. Get it done. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.